Oscar Combs here, and I want to put one rumor to rest, once and for all. The story is that Rafferty's goes all out for sports fans. And let me tell you, it's absolutely true. Confirmed. And fans love Rafferty's right back because the food is so terrific. Serve fresh. Serve fast. Serve friendly. Lunch or dinner. Rafferty's menu is jam-packed with all your favorites. Steaks, prime rib, chicken, ribs, delicious dishes and generous sizes that really satisfy the appetite. So come hang with the sports crowd at Rafferty's. It's the tastiest place in town. Oscar, Happy New Year's to you. Happy New Year to you. We're sitting here just uh, depending on when people are going to listen to this, a few days, a few hours away from Kentucky and Georgia Tech in the Tax Slayer Bowl, formerly the Gator Bowl, as some people have been questioning that. Kentucky's had an interesting history in bowl games. Yes, uh, you got to go way, way back there. You sort of think of a bowl game being in a sunny South Florida where it's warm in the wintertime. That's part of the reason going to a bowl game, get away from the harsh winters we have in Kentucky. But believe it or not, Kentucky's first bowl game, you had to go north. The Great Lakes in Cleveland, Ohio. December 6th, 1947, the Great Lakes Bowl, which was in its first year of existence, so kind of a unique situation with the Great Lakes Bowl, and a name that uh, would become popular with Kentucky football and its fans, George Blanda. Yes, uh, one of the great Kentucky players of all time, become much more known in the professional football for a kicker. He was a kicker and a quarterback both. I think that he played if memory serves me correctly, in four different decades. And he kicked that ball forever. Great quarterback, but, I mean, he was kicking the football for field goals and extra points as a grandfather. That's awesome. And, you know, when we talk about these old guys, they were workhorses. Oh, yes. In fact, when you get back to the 40s, a lot of those players had been in the military. They'd been World War II Mm -hmm. and come home to get finish getting their degrees. So it wasn't unusual for a player to be 25, 26, 27 years old in college. And when we talk about these bowl games as well, going all the way back to great the Great Lakes Bowl or the Orange Bowl in 1950, it wasn't a plane ride to wherever they were playing a bowl game at. There was no gift packages. There wasn't all the money tied up into well, it. It was a little bit different, wasn't it? it? It was different. And I don't know about the gift packages, but I do remember uh, in the Sugar Bowl, the year they played in the Sugar Bowl, they were allowed to give each player $100 spending money. And that was one of the things that got Kentucky basketball in trouble because Adolph Rupp had his basketball team in New Orleans playing in the old Sugar Bowl basketball tournament, which was part of the festivities for the football classic. And one of the players told one of the Kentucky basketball players about his $100. And so Harry Lancaster went to Rupp and said, do you know the football players get to spend $100 and by the school? And so – Rupp turned around and gave the players $100 in basketball for it, and it was a no-no. And he pretty much fought that thing to the day he died that if you could give a football player $100, why couldn't you give a basketball player? Eventually, the NCAA changed that in money, but now they have those gift packages, and generally speaking, they run about $500 in value. Somehow that story about Rupp, that's got to be related to a cigarette lighter in a Cadillac somewhere. <laughs> Some way. <laughs> well, let's talk about the Great Lakes Bowl. What happened in that game? What do you know? Well, you know, it was bitterly cold, and it was so successful. 
that they ended the run after that year. They did have one more year of it, but it was called a small college. Well, they found out you weren't going to get people to bring their swimming suits to Cleveland to swim in Lake Erie at that time of the year. A good game. Kentucky jumped out to a 3 to nothing lead at the halftime on a George Blanda field goal. Ended up going up 10 to nothing going into the fourth quarter. Uh, Trading some uh, – Touchdowns in the final quarter, two each, one twenty-four to fourteen. Don't know what the attendance exactly was in that game, but they listed it at fourteen thousand nine hundred eight. I got a feeling if that's probably to fudge it up a little bit, but that pretty much was a history of the first and only Great Lakes Bowl among major Division One schools. And Bear Bryant was the coach at the time. What Was that his first year coaching? Second, Second year. year. Second okay. year coaching at Kentucky. Three years later, he ended up in the Orange Bowl. Well, you know, uh, they went three consecutive years there in 50, 51, 52 New Year's Day Bowl. It was actually the 49, 50, and 51 seasons that they went there. Pirelli led them to uh, all three major bowls that in that uh, run there. And that was basically the bulk of Bear Bryant's enormous success at Kentucky. Uh, those were big time. That was back when you had a Sugar Bowl, Orange Bowl, Rose Bowl, and a Cotton Bowl. That was your formation. And, I mean, you're talking about eight teams. I mean, that's all that went to the bowls back then. Which, nowadays, we know this. Everybody gets a bowl game. Well, I think. And I mean that loosely. <laughs> yeah. I, it's in the mid-30s now. And, I mean, you know, you, you had you had one team this year that was 5-7 and seven in going into the bowl game, Mississippi State. And it won. And it won as a on the way that a 5-7 team should win. It blocked a field goal on the last play of the game. Which makes it even better. Well, the Orange Bowl, that, that was um, that was Kentucky and Santa Clara in Miami. 64,816 was the attendance. Kentucky ended up losing 21-13. to Coach Bear Bryant, he had some interesting uh, practice tactics, if you will. Took them down to Cocoa Beach, made them practice out in the heat, and uh, that wasn't a popular decision amongst the players. Well, you've got to remember, a lot of those players had been through tough times before and this was supposed to be a vacation this was supposed to be what you were working for all year long having a lot of fun and bears coaching all the way through his days at alabama is this is work and when the game's over you go party but you don't party until the game's over and the game was over 21 to 13 with santa clara and getting the win and santa clara they had to make the bus drive all the way from california to miami can you imagine that and still ended up winning yeah uh kentucky jumped out to the lead in it uh Wilbur Jamerson, a uh, two-yard plunge, gave Kentucky a 7 nothing lead in the second quarter. But then Santa Clara come back with a pair of uh, touchdowns in the third quarter, added one in the fourth quarter. Kentucky scored once but missed a uh, point after. Ended up being 21-13. But Kentucky was still very happy. That was their arrival in college football, being in that big a bowl that quickly under Bear Bryant. Let's talk about the Sugar Bowl. That was that was Bear Bryant's probably best year here. I mean, they were really, really good that year. They played the number one team in the nation. Back then, you selected the national championship after the regular season, but before the bowl season. Kentucky was on target to play for the championship themselves. They were 10-0 going into the final regular season game. 
ended up losing to Tennessee 7 nothing in a snowstorm in Knoxville. That's when the team traveled by train from Lexington to Knoxville. In that particular game, Kentucky was averaging almost 40 points a game that year. But he lost to General Nalen, and General Nalen never lost to Bear Bryant during his entire time at Kentucky. That was the only mark against Coach Bryant's record during his time at Kentucky. He couldn't beat General Nalen. But having lost, they still went and played Oklahoma, ranked number one in the country, upset them. If that had been today, Kentucky would probably be the national champion. But they weren't. Now, several years later, I want to say around 1980, the uh, Poplar Sagren Ratings computer service that started, I want to say in the 70s, decided that they would go back and feed all the information into computers each year prior to 70 to have a so-called national championship if they'd been around at the time. When they crunched, crunched the numbers, they made Kentucky the mythical national champion of that year. Mythical. Mythical. <laughs> Oklahoma had a 31-game winning streak going into that game. It was Kentucky's Charlie McClendon, Bay Pirelli, and uh, Wilbur Shorty Jamerson. Those were the guys that stopped that 31-game winning streak. Yeah, uh, I mean, no one expected it to happen, particularly after Kentucky could not even score against Tennessee in that regular season finale. But uh, those three names you mentioned there are well-known among overtimers around here. And, of course, Charlie Mack went on and had a very successful coaching career at LSU. Another name I want to throw out is Walt Yawarski. I think I'm not going to try to repeat that name. (laughs) Well, the reason I bring that up was Bear Bryant had a hard time trying to pronounce his last name and would always run him off from practice. And then he ended up being, I think, the MVP or most valuable defensive player of that game against Oklahoma. Great, great, great player. And uh, the other thing about Walt, he didn't see much game action during the season. And look where he ended up after being run off by Bear Bryant. Yes. I thought that was just an interesting story there <laughs> about that. Kentucky ends up winning the Sugar Bowl, and then it's on to the Cotton Bowl the year later. A lot of interesting things about that Cotton Bowl. Uh, big win for Kentucky. Uh, again, it was Pirelli. That was his last year here. They played so well in that. But then when they came home after that game, is when Burbrandt sat down and made his famous, or maybe we should say infamous, statement about he was going to stop cheating in college football. Now, that's something we talk about today in this era, but now we're talking about early 50s. So he said he was going to be the leader in cleaning up college football. From that point forward, he said he was going to play and win with Kentucky boys. They were no longer going to recruit outside the state. They were no longer going to have out-of-staters on the squad, with a rare exception. If a player was the son of a U.K. alumni or close family relative, they would consider taking him, but only if the kid recruited U.K., not U.K. recruiting the kid. And this is inside the media facts book of 1952 and when you read it when I tell people about it they say that wasn't true somebody's made that up and when I pull out the fact book and show it to them there they shake their head and say he must have been crazy don't think he was crazy now he may have an ultimate motive but the interesting thing is after that 52 cotton bow they never went back to bow and he stayed two years more before he went on to Texas A&M. 
but they did not go to a bowl after that. There's a lot of people who, who think that 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 procedure was only in effect for two years that he was here, and then they changed it when Blanton Collier took over. But in recruiting, when you do that and you go through two years without good recruiting, you set yourself back. Bear was his own coach, wasn't he? He was his own coach and his own AD. And part of that, I think, is probably the reason why he left Kentucky. He really wanted to be an AD slash coach because that was pretty common back in those days in the SEC. In the 1952 Cotton Bowl, it was Kentucky and TCU. And it was uh, Bay Pirelli who got things started off with a five-yard touchdown pass to Emory Clark. And uh, Kentucky was set to uh, win the Cotton Bowl. Yeah, uh, they, they jumped out to a 13 nothing league. In fact, Pirelli completed two touchdown passes to Clark, one in the first quarter from five yards out, and the second quarter, 13 yards out. But Kentucky, which it seemed to have a little bit of a problem in the kicking game throughout that era, missed an extra point. They did come back, um, and uh, after TCU had closed the gap to 13-7 to in the third quarter, they put it away in the fourth quarter, when Hamilton ran it in from three yards out in front of a crowd of 75,349. And that was the last time we would see Kentucky in a bowl game until the 1976 Peach Bowl. What happened in between those years of why Kentucky couldn't get back to a bowl game? Well, first of all, Bear Bryant left two years after that. He stayed two more years. He had a, had a couple of decent – the two years were decent – but back then, decent years didn't get you into a bowl game because there were so few bowls. But he left, so Blanton Collier come in. Blanton had good news and bad news. The bad news was he couldn't get them back to those high number of wins a year. The good news was he owned Tennessee. He beat them regularly after that. But, you know, after a few years there, it got to the point where, you know, Kentucky just wasn't going back, and they started a musical chairs with coaches. And you went all the way from – the 51 season, the 52 bowl game, all the way to 1976 where you saw any winners. What were the stipulations back then of getting into a bowl game? What kind of stipulations were there Well, it was sort of, I would call it backroom uh, swapping. <laughs> if, if Notre Dame was decent, they were going to get into a bowl. Mm-hmm. Uh, a 7-3 Notre Dame would get in a bowl above anybody that was, say, 8-2 and two, that was an Oklahoma, Southern Cal, Notre Dame. And, you know, in the, in the 50s, that's before Alabama become great, great. So you, you had a few teams around there, Michigan, Ohio State. Uh, you had to be a marquee team to get in. And then suddenly the Bowls started gaining popularity and you started adding them later on. You had the Fiesta Bowl and Sun Bowl. You had a whole bunch of Bowls that popped up starting in the late 60s, early 70s. We go from 1952, from the Cotton Bowl 1952, to the Peach Bowl, December 31st, 1976. Well, you, you finally had your number of regular season games increase from 10 to 11, and that was a big key. They played 11 games. Six and five did not get you in a bowl. Seven and four, you had to do some finagling. You had to have some 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 good people behind you, and of course, that's what happened to Kentucky in 1976. At the time they got the bowl, the Peach Bowl, they were seven and four. Now later, a year or two later, that record was improved to eight and three because Mississippi State used an ineligible player, but it wasn't determined that he was ineligible until after the season. So they ended go up from seven and four to eight and three and then with the bowl win it made them nine and threes but that nine and three you see in the record book now 
wasn't in there immediately after the season. They took on North Carolina. They were ranked number 18 in the AP poll. Kentucky was not even ranked going into the uh, Peach Bowl. Well, let's go back to the regular season finale in that year. That was when they played Tennessee in Knoxville. And the Peach Bowl people had announced Monday of the week before. Tennessee's a big name back then. I mean, they were they were rolling big in the 50s. And so they announced that they were going to give the Peach Bowl bid to the winner of the that game immediately after the game in the locker room. And as we both remember, that was a hard-fought 7 to nothing defensive battle. And after the game, they headed them – the invitation to the bowl at the same time because they lost that game. Tennessee fired Bill Battle. Well, Kentucky going to that 76 bowl game was huge for not only Fran Kersey, but for the fans too because you hadn't been to a bowl game since the early 50s. I mean, that was almost a quarter century. And when Kentucky was picked to go to that bowl to play North Carolina, it was a big, big deal here in Kentucky. And that's with probation lurking as well. Yes, because they had the option, of course, waiting and taking the probation earlier, not going to bowl that year, and then being able to play in 77, but bird and hands were two in the bush, and I think Kersey made the right decision to go ahead and play, because you didn't know what was going to happen in 1977. Now, the question I have to ask you, did you make it down for the Peach Bowl? That Absolutely. That, that, was my, that was actually my uh, first bowl game that I'd ever attended, and I uh, went down about five or six days early, In Atlanta, they played in the old Atlanta-Fulton County Stadium, which was home of the Atlanta Braves. It was a a combination park uh, that was played for both football and baseball, and it was so cold that New Year's Eve and New Year's Day. I mean, coldest game I'd ever been to. This game took a while for it to get started, didn't it, as far as scoring? Well, you know, uh, both teams were known for really good defense. Kentucky was one of the top five defenses in the country. And, yeah, it took a while. Rod Stewart, the freshman, ended up having an MVP game that day, scored all three touchdowns. They got up 7 nothing, and then pretty much from that point on, Everyone knew that North Carolina wasn't going to score. It's just going to be a matter of how much Kentucky would score. What did this do for Fran Kersey as a coach? Well, you know, it, it, it got the monkey off his back, so to speak. Uh, he had been there since 73. He had uh, preached that, give me a little time. He had a brand-new stadium his first year. So things were coming to the point that you could see the light at the end of the tunnel. And he had a great, great team in 76, and there was going to be a greater one in 77. You didn't really know it at the time, but I mean to tell you, the defense that that team played those two years was phenomenal. Best two defensive teams in my lifetime. I say in my lifetime, I really can't speak to those in the late 40s. I was around, but not old enough to really know what was going on. People your age, people older than me. It always goes back to the 76 Peach Bowl team and yeah, the because, team afterwards. Yeah, because that was the first great teams that Kentucky had post-Bear Bryant. And over the years, it sort of got the feeling of being Kentucky football is about two things, Bear Bryant and after Bear Bryant. And this obviously was after Bear Bryant. Kersey came from Miami, Florida, young guy in his 30s, youngest college coach in the country at that time in major college football. And, and he was working some magic with it. He got great players out of Florida, got a couple great players out of Camden, New Jersey. Uh, those two guys were Art Steele and Derek Ramsey. And they those were the two big main cogs, but they had a great supporting cast to go with them. 
And just as a side note, for everybody listening, if you want to know more about this 76 team, go back to our podcast with Joe Bryant. Joe Bryant was a a field goal kicker, had a great, great year in 77. He was a backup uh, kicker in 76. It was really a fun conversation with him. And yeah, if you haven't heard that, go back and check the podcast. I think you'll enjoy it. Yeah, he was great to talk to. Great to talk to. From the 76 Peach Bowl, we go to the 1983 Hall of Fame Classic. Yeah, and the ironic thing with that is we were just previously talking about about how things were getting off so good for Fran Kersey. Well, they hit a roadblock after the 77 season, and by 82, he was gone. In come Jerry Claiborne, a, a former U.K. player, a coach that was very successful at West Virginia Tech and at Maryland before he came home. His first year, he had to sort of do some house cleaning. He uh, let a number of players go, finished the season 0-10-1. Then the next year, he went 6-5, and five, went to the Hall of Fame Bowl, and uh, very, very competitive. And at that point in time, you thought, well, the football program was really getting back on track here. Kentucky played West Virginia in the Hall of Fame Classic, and they dropped that one 20 to 16. Two quarterbacks we could talk about, Randy Jenkins and uh, Bill Ransdale. Randy Jenkins was the starter at that time, and a very good quarterback. Uh, he uh, had the offensive going the way that Jerry Claiborne wanted it going. Uh, Jerry Claiborne brought in the famous wide tackle six defense, which a lot of people did not like. It it tended to make your defense stay on the field more. His theory was, if you're going to score against me, I'd rather take you ten snaps than two snaps because those extra eight snaps is an opportunity for you to turn the ball over to us. And, and it was pretty effective for him. I, you, you can make your arguments both ways on it, but I thought he played it very well. And in that uh, first game against West Virginia, uh, Kentucky actually jumped out to a 10 to nothing lead, but then West Virginia came back and ended up winning 20-16. to A couple key players in that, besides uh, Randy Jenkins, was a young guy by the name of Joker Phillips. Hmm, I've heard that name before. Kentucky bounces back. They avenged their loss in the Hall of Fame Classic to Wisconsin the following year. And uh, let's see, I believe that would have been uh, 1984. That is correct. Uh, same place, Legion Field in Birmingham. Uh, Kentucky came into that game uh, with uh, Joey Worley, a place kicker for Kentucky. He ended up just kicking field goals all day long. Kentucky could move the ball, but once they got into the scoring position, they had a hard time putting six points on the board. Wisconsin had a great receiver named Al Toon. Al Toon went on, played many, many years in the NFL. Uh, really, really good Wisconsin team. And Kentucky was the underdog. But uh, they hung around. Wisconsin jumped out to a 16 to nothing lead, led 16 to 7 at the half. But they kept chipping field goals away. And I think a little less than nine minutes to go, Worley kicked the field goal that put them ahead. They held on. Yeah, it was 52 yards from uh, Joey Worley. Another game Bill Ransdell was in, another game that Joker Phillips was in as well. And Kentucky ended up finishing the season 9-3. Uh, and three. Yes, uh, that was that was probably – you might even make the argument that's the best team they've had since 77 because they played really well. Uh, Bill Ransdell's dad, who's also named Bill Ransdell, was a great – uh, back before him here at Kentucky back in the 50s. And uh, Bill Ranzo was really so intelligent on the field as a coach in the form of a player. I mean, he knew, he made right decisions. He could read defensive. 
he played much better than maybe his talent suggested that he should, but he had a great, great career here, and that was the big moment. I have a homecoming program with Bill Ransdell's picture, and I always try to track him down, try to get him to sign it for me just to prove that here is Bill Ransdell with a mullet in 1984, and he has not signed it for me yet. 1993 Peach Bowl, Kentucky and Clemson. Well, first of all, after the 84 bowl season, Jerry Claiborne had a number six five clubs throughout his era here. But six and five didn't get you in the bowl season most of the time. You usually had to go seven and four. So he left in 89, and Bill Curry come on board. Uh, C.M. Newton hired him. Everybody thought this is the next Bear Bryant. He was winning big at Alabama. Alabama fans, despite him winning big, didn't like him because he played football at Georgia Tech under Bobby Dodd. Nobody in Alabama likes Bobby Dodd because he didn't get along with Bear Bryant. So at the time that Kentucky hired him, There were a lot of people glad to see Bill Curry go. But 24 hours before Kentucky hired him as their coach, he was coaching for the potential national championship at Alabama. So he could recruit, but he was recruiting at Georgia Tech and Alabama. When he came to Kentucky, he wasn't really able to recruit that well. But by 93, they put together a team that went 6-5 and and got into a bowl, the Peach Bowl. And that was his finest hour. Then, had a good shot at winning it, probably should have won it. Uh, Marty Moore intercepted a pass late in the game that would have uh, won the game for Kentucky. But he ran it out of the end zone instead, down it and fumbled the ball, and then they turned around and lost. How frustrated were the Kentucky fans at this point where you've had success um, previously in the Hall of Fame Classic, the Peach Bowl, and now you're back into the Peach Bowl again, and then you lose by one point against yeah, but, Clemson. Yeah, but because uh, Clemson was very, very good that year, and most people weren't expecting to beat Clemson. But once you got to that point, you know, you thought you had it. Uh, that wasn't the worst part. The worst part was the three years after that, 94, 95, things weren't going as well. And then in 96, he was able to recruit a kid by the name of Tim Couch. But that sort of flamed out early because – they were trying to take a passing quarterback and run an option offense and didn't work too well. 1999 Outback Bowl, Hal Mummy. Hal Mummy comes in in 97 with the endorsement of the AD at the time, C.M. Newton. is we're going to throw the ball. And it was air raid. And you had Tim Couch throwing a ball all over the field. They had a, a neat first year in 97, but didn't get to a bowl. And in 98, they had a 7-4 year. Had some big, big wins. They beat Georgia uh, big. And... So that was that was the fun year. That was also Tim Couch's junior year, which turned out to be his last year. This was a good game from the standpoint of it's Kentucky and Penn State, a powerhouse. Before we went in, even go into the game and, and find out the outcome, it's Kentucky playing against Joe Paterno and Penn State. Yes, and, and Kentucky was very fortunate to get a bid that year, looking back at because 74 records usually didn't get you in the Outback Bowl. That was – the elite bowl right below the five big ones. And if you weren't eight and three, you didn't get in. But a couple good things happened in Kentucky. The Outback Bowl is financed by the Outback Steakhouses. The chief uh, principal owner of the Outback restaurants at that time was a grad, Chris Sullivan of the University of Kentucky. So that helped them sort of get the invitation. Uh, they went down there. The, also, the fact that Kentucky had the number one quarterback in the country who was going to be the number one pick in the NFL draft the next spring. So, those factors together got them in the game. Actually, Kentucky jumped out to a 14 to nothing lead, and it's like, wow. 
And nobody really thought that Penn State could host Kentucky scoreless the last three quarters, but that changed pretty quickly. They sure did. Uh, Penn State 26, Kentucky 14. That was the final. Going back to what you were saying about uh, the chief principal owner of Outback Steakhouse being a University of Kentucky grad, and this proves that Kentucky fans like their bowl games. They said a uh, it was the first sellout yes. of the Outback Bowl, and that took place in Tampa, 1999 Outback Bowl, and then it's on to the Music City Bowl with Hal Mummy as they took on Syracuse. Yeah, it was still going strong for Hal at that time. The wheels hadn't fallen off the the truck so to speak yet but they went there uh, dusty bonner was a quarterback at that time for kentucky played syracuse and uh, a lot of fun still throwing the football all over the field but syracuse was a better team than kentucky and of course that game ended up 20 to 13 syracuse kentucky again jumped out to a big 10 to nothing lead first quarter from the first quarter let's talk about the end of the game and the decision how mummy made well you you got to the end of the game and i think the score was 14 to 13 with a little less than two minutes to go and mummy saw that they were just going to run the clock out they couldn't stop it they were out of timeouts so he just ordered his team to lay down to allow them to score now by allowing them score the score is going to be either 20 to 13, 21 to 13, or 22 to 13, depending on whether or not they made their extra point or went for two and made it or went for two and didn't make it. Well, they went for two and didn't make it. So actually, Kentucky had a shot with a minute 48 to go to score and tie it or score and and go for two and win it. Didn't work, but it was a neat effort. Here's the thing. We, we talk about these close wins for Kentucky or close losses, you know, what's, when it's within a touchdown. How frustrating. I mean, this is frustrating for Kentucky fans going to these bowl games and losing by just a little bit. Well, it, it's like losing regular season games by a little bit. You go back and look at the history, and before you look at the history of a particular season, you say they weren't very good that year. They were only, they were only five and six, or they were four and seven. And then you go back and look it up in the media guide and look the game of game scores, and you see 22 to 17 loss, 14 to 10 loss, 38 to 35 loss. You say, man, they were in every game. Close don't count unless you're playing horseshoes or hand grenades. grenades. (laughs) We don't have either in this place. No, we don't. We don't. 2006 Music City Bowl with uh, Rich Brooks. Took him a while, but he finally got things turned around for the Kentucky program. Yeah, and and that was the year that Going into the LSU game, things weren't looking very good. They really got roll really, really good in Baton Rouge. But I remember on the pregame show on the radio network at the time, I was looking at I thought if they could come out of LSU with one thing and one thing, I didn't have any aspirations of them upsetting LSU. Just didn't want anybody hurt, any key players hurt. And they didn't have any hurt. They went on a run at the end of, the end of that season. A big win was over Georgia. And all of a sudden, Rich Brooks had him a bowl win, a bowl game. Kentucky and Clemson going up against an ACC school. And Kentucky ended up winning 28-20. to And it was a consistent scoring for Kentucky that got them to that win. It was. I mean, they even out had a touchdown in each quarter. Actually had a big lead. Uh, they were up uh, 28-6 to until – Clemson scored two touchdowns in the final quarter. I think that kind of started the love fest with uh, the Kentucky fans and Coach Brooks because look at what he did the following year, once again, back in the Music City Bowl against Florida State. Yeah, I mean, that was, you know, 2006 was his first of four straight bowl games, and nobody was predicting that in 2007. But uh, when he came back, uh, they played Florida State, and I believe that was the game that – Florida State had a few players missing. Uh, 35, to 35. be exact. 
took a little bit of the fun away from it. I think they were going to beat Florida State that year anyway. But when you beat them and they had all those players, that it just took a little bit of the glamour off of it, particularly for maybe recruits around the country because they, oh, they didn't have 35 players, you know. But it was a big, big win for Kentucky. Well, it was a big win for Kentucky against uh, two Bowdens in two years. Yes, and, and the big thing about the 2007 season that we should not forget, what happened during the regular season that year? Hmm, let me think here. We beat Louisville. With Stevie Johnson, who's still open. They hadn't caught him yet. <laughs> still open. And we beat LSU, who was number one that came into Commonwealth yeah. Stadium. And, and, and there, may, there may be some people to argue with me, but I'll still say to this day uh, that was the best win that I have seen in person over LSU beating the number one team in the nation. And this was well into the season. This wasn't like the first two or three games. And win it the way they did uh, with a defensive stand in overtime was huge. And at that point, I think it was really in high gear for Rich Brooks. He was not getting any younger, but he wasn't really old at the time. But he was needing help. He needed facilities upgrade. Unfortunately, in 2007, there was no SEC TV network on the horizon that was going to pump a lot of money in here. And, you know, by 2009, he was deciding, maybe I need to play a little bit more golf, and maybe there's been a couple of fishing holes that I hadn't met yet. And some tomatoes to grow. Tomatoes to grow. Kentucky ended up winning the 2007 Music City Bowl, defeating Florida State 35-28. to And then we go to the Liberty Bowl in Memphis, Tennessee. That was my first bowl trip I'd ever made, and I piggybacked that with the uh, trip to uh, Graceland as well. And it was Kentucky and East Carolina. Very, very good East Carolina team. Very, very underrated in the last few years since then people become to appreciate their athletics program there more than they did 10 years ago but again it was it was another solid season by rich brooks people still forget what he was fighting in the sec at that time south carolina was playing very very well tennessee was playing super well uh, there, there was no real gimmies in the league at the time he was doing all these bowls four years in a row. East Carolina, they had, um, I think they were ranked as high as 15 during the season. Kentucky was unranked, and they were able to get the win 25-19 to over uh, East Carolina. But the one play I think everybody will remember was uh, Ventrell Jenkins. Yes, the big one. The, the stiff arm. Yes. <laughs> and Mike Hartline had just come into his own, had a really good year. He later got hurt the next season and missed half of the next season. But he was very big. He was 19 of 31 for 204 yards uh, in that game. Uh, on the uh, uh, rushing department, you had Dixon that had 89 yards in that game. But it was, it was a solid game from the standpoint that Kentucky was well prepared. They fit the mold of a team that had been into two previous bowl games. And, again, it looked like, you know, Rich Brooks was – going to be there for the long term. I don't think I ever cheered so hard for a player when Ventrell Jenkins picked up that 56-yard <laughs> fumble recovery and did that stiff arm and took it into the end zone. But that was a fun game just just to watch Ventrell. Cats ended up winning 25-19 to in the Liberty Bowl. Following year, Kentucky is back in the Music City Bowl, and they take on Clemson. And uh, it was Rich Brooks's last game as a Kentucky yeah. Wildcat. And I always wonder if he knew going into the game if he was going to hang it up or not. A couple years previous to that, Kentucky made Joker Phillips head coach in waiting to whenever Rich Brooks wanted to retire. This was his fourth consecutive bowl. Unfortunately, it was a loss. 
And uh, a few weeks after that, actually just a week or two after, he announced that he was retiring. But back to the bowl game itself, good, good Clemson team. And uh, Clemson, I think, just had more horses Kentucky time. Kentucky had a young Reginald Cobb who was all Mr. Everything. Um, Newton was a quarterback because Hartline had got hurt in the middle of the year. So things were going pretty good, but I think Rich Brooks was getting tired of fighting all these forest fires with a water hose. Didn't have the facilities that other people needed. And I think you saw that going down to spread. And I think that loss really worked upon Rich to the point that after the season, he sort of looked around and said, you know, they're not going to be able to do the facilities as quickly as I'd like to see them. Certainly not what he'd been promised earlier. Mm-hmm. And I think he just said he'd go home, like you say, raise tomatoes, fishing in the little fishing holes he hadn't met, play golf. Fly around the world with his wife. What was the other mindset of, I've done all I could here at Kentucky? Well, I think he thought that he'd done all he could do with what he had to work with. I think if they had had new facilities at that time, I think he would have stayed on. But I think he realized, you know, I've really been getting 110%, not just out of the players, but myself too. And I don't have anything else to work with. Where are the wins going to come? People forget when you're in the SEC – before you can win, the other team has to have a, a loss on them. And where are you going to build up the wins at? That was an era when, you know, his, Vanny was about the only bad team in the league. you got to win more than one league game to do well. And you were having the Louisville game every year. So I, I think at the end of it, he just finally said, okay, you know, maybe this is where I need to jump ship. What a great run he had. Unbelievable. What a great run. Well, to quote you, that was the coldest I'd ever been at a bowl game. And that was the most miserable I'd ever been. At a bowl game as well because it was so cold. Club level seats didn't help much. <laughs> Did not help. Joker Phillips, he comes in as the new head coach of the University of Kentucky. And we're in a bowl game, the BBVA Compass Bowl in Birmingham, Legion Field. There there, there are some people who believe that maybe the recruiting had slacked off the last year or two under Rich Brooks. When they made him coach in waiting, head coach in waiting, he gave up some of his recruiting responsibilities to get to that next level. By his first year, you could start to see that maybe the young talent level not was not what it was two or three years earlier. So they get into that bowl game, but by the time they get to the bowl game, there's an off-campus incident involving a few players, and Joker suspends his starting quarterback, Mike Hartline, for the bowl. That turned out to be huge. Right thing to do. Sometimes you make the right decision, and you end up paying for it. Without him in the bowl, they weren't able to pull it out. And I think if Hartline had played in that bowl, they would have won it. Now, I'm not saying he should have played him. Not that at all. I admire Joker for having the uh, having the guts to stand up and say, you, you know, you got to toe the line. But anyway, not having won that game, that put him behind the eight ball for the next two years. It was Kentucky and Pittsburgh. Pittsburgh ended up winning 27-10, to 10, but they were without a head coach. That is correct. He had just taken a job at another school. Yeah, Dave Wanstead. Yes. I, I, I just I just go back to that, though, and that, that 27 to 10, their offense was pretty much non-existent that day, and the offense had been pretty doggone good under Hartline up until he was suspended. So, Oscar, that brings us to the Tax Slayer Bowl coming up, but 
formerly the Gator Bowl, but Kentucky's got a little bit of history with the Gator Bowl, as we found out over the last couple of days. A lot of history, even though Kentucky's never played in the Gator Bowl. Uh, fans need to remember at one time the Gator Bowl was a huge bowl. It was just one spot below the level of the Big Four. And so it was it was a big bowl to get chosen to. But Kentucky had their fingers in a pie a couple, three times. You can take it from there. Well, it was the 1953 season. Kentucky had finished 7-2-1, and and a loss to Texas A&M pretty much knocked Kentucky out of the Cotton Bowl and the Sugar Bowl at the time. They weren't they weren't too happy about that. So uh, Bear Bryant stomped into the locker room, asked him uh, how many centers want to go. Nobody raised their hand. How many guards want to go? Nobody raised their hand. And he said, well, hell, we can't play without centers and guards. And Kentucky had declined the uh, bid to the Gator Bowl. And what's really interesting about that, to go back in time, you got to remember back to, as we said earlier in the podcast, there was that time after the 52 bowl game when he decided that he was going to clean up recruiting in major college football. Kentucky would no longer recruit any kids from outside the state unless they had a direct relationship with UK alumni. So I don't know what his thought process was at the time, but can you imagine trying to compete then or today by saying we're only going to take in-state athletes? So let's go back to the 53 season. They opened it with a 7-6 loss to Texas A&M. That was the season after they had snapped their string of consecutive bowls. They didn't go to a bowl in the 52 season. After the 53 season, when he has this meeting with the players and they decide not to go despite what had been going on all year long, what most people forget it was just a few days after that that suddenly he bolts Kentucky altogether and becomes the head coach at Texas A&M. So my thought process is, what was he so upset about two years earlier when he decided that he was no longer going to recruit outside Kentucky, that he was going to clean up football? A, he coaches two more years. Neither season do they go to a bowl game. The second season they have some options – but they choose not to because they couldn't go to the Cotton Bowl. I don't know that that's ever really been hashed out, and obviously if it hasn't, or at least we don't know about it, but it looks to me like that when he went in the locker room and started asking the players, do you want to play this bowl game, it was sort of like, you guys don't really want to play in a bowl game, do you? And when he went through two groups and nobody raised their hand, that was it. I mean, most situations, the players went up doing what the coach wants. And that situation, he asked the players, they said no. He didn't even go down to the running backs or quarterbacks, did he? No, he didn't. He he, he knew what he wanted to do. Wouldn't you like to be a fly in the locker room yeah, when, he, he, when he walked in there? Yes. <laughs> Kentucky and Georgia Tech on New Year's Eve, which is kind of a rematch of um, the last meeting between Georgia Tech and Kentucky. This goes all the way back to September 17th, 1960. Georgia Tech ended up winning 23-13. to 13. Tech comes in. They have an eight and four record. They're coached under uh, Paul Johnson, his ninth season, and uh, they're riding a three game winning streak going into this bowl game. Yeah, they had a, a fairly complex season this year, Bo. They started out real well. They beat Boston College, Patrick Toves, seventeen to fourteen, in a more or less an uninspiring game. Then they beat Mercer, thirty five to ten. They wallop Vanderbilt, thirty eight to seven, when nobody was putting points on Vanderbilt. Uh, 
But after that, they, they hit a skid. Of course, it was against a couple pretty decent teams, but they lost to Clemson 26-7, Miami 35-21. They lost a bad game at Pitt, 37-34. Suddenly, they were 3-3, three and three, and people pretty much giving them up for dead for the rest of the year. But they fought back. They won a pair of games against Georgia Southern and Duke. Then they lost at North Carolina. And so at that point in time, they're five and four. Again, people are saying, uh-uh, not going to happen this year. Paul Johnson, like you said, has been there nine years. And it seems like every three or four years they're giving him up, he's gone. And he always comes up with another life. A really, really solid coach. Uh, then they turn around and they upset Virginia Tech 30-20. to 20. They beat Virginia 31-17, to 17, and they were in a bow at that point. And then the big whopper. They go over to Athens, Georgia, and they put a spanking on Georgia in the last minute of the game. And now they're facing Kentucky. So they've been up and down. They're, they're sort of on a high right now. Anytime they finish the season beating Georgia, that, that's a big deal to Georgia Tech. I, th- I think it's going to be a, a, a really fun and good game. Uh, Georgia Tech is a three-and-a-half-point favorite. Uh, their quarterback, Justin Thomas, is a senior, been one of the more polished quarterbacks, uh, big uh, uh, a fan quarterback at George Tech for the last three years. Uh, in the backfield, they've got Derek Mills, who uh, has done a yeoman's job for them uh, this year, and their top uh, receiver is Ricky uh, June. So both teams are noted for running the football. Just stick it in the gut and run it forward. Neither team is pretty acclaimed for a great defense. I think this game is the the over-under for total points scored. I think it's the third highest in all of the bowl games, like at 62 or 63. Winning score, losing score, probably in the low to mid-30s. So my question to you is, will Kentucky and the Big Blue Nation have a happy new year? <laughs> well, I think the big thing is, is that uh, Kentucky needs – to play aggressive offensive football. You've seen that out of Eddie Grant all year long. We're going to get to see uh, uh, some players this year uh, in Jacksonville. I have uh, a fun time. Boom Williams, JoJo, Benny Snell Jr. Uh, Let's see if they can combine for, oh, say, 300 yards rushing. And then, of course, you got your quarterback in there who uh, Steven Johnson is just, you know, how could you have ever dreamed that that kid coming in as a J.C. transfer could come in and mature and experience after two games when Drew Barker goes out and put up the numbers he did and, more importantly, be a leader that's led him to this kind of a season at 7-5? It's got to be one of the best stories in Kentucky football history. And it can only get better if they have an upset win in Jacksonville Saturday, and I think they will. I'll see you in 2017. Happy New Year. Happy New Year.